This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 24th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. How does the language we use affect our attempts to influence each other? And are we really trying to influence each other or merely earning status within our own ideological groups? Arnold Kling is author of the new revised edition of The Three Languages of Politics, published by Libertarianism.org and the Cato Institute. We spoke last month. We've discussed this issue before about how to be essentially compassionate when other people present their views to you and try seek first to understand, as uh, we're often told. But uh, Arnold, let me hit you with this. One, I cannot be pigeonholed on the basis of heuristics. I arrive at my political beliefs through careful reasoning and consideration of the evidence. Uh, it is a characteristic of the people who share my political beliefs that we carefully weigh the facts and arrive at realistic, sound conclusions. And it's a characteristic of the other side, essentially that they are slaves to dogma and impaired in the use of reason. Yes, that's what everyone believes. And it's oh, but I, but it's re- but for me, it's really true, Arnold. <laughs> so every every progressive believes that uh, they're the reason that progressive views are reasonable, and and that other people arrive at their views from for irrational reasons of one sort or another. Uh, libertarians believe that they are the rational ones, and then other people arrive at their views from irrational reasons. And conservatives do the same thing. So that's. Um, that's gives you a, a flavor of, of how the book is what looks like. It tries to, uh, I'm afraid, draw a moral equivalency between these three viewpoints. Although I myself lean much more to the libertarian side, I think that in the way that we fight one another and engage in tribal rhetoric. Unfortunately, there is a little bit of a moral equivalency. So uh, I'll pay you a compliment and that is when I want people to understand what I think about things but I don't want to talk to them about it in the way that I uh, – when I, in other words, I think I would fail to convince them. I will refer them to something written by Arnold Kling quite often because I just think you, you present things in a way that is very, uh, very pleasant and – uh, easy to understand, and you don't use a lot of jargon or insidery language uh, among li- that libertarians tend to use uh, in your book. And this is something that stuck with me here. You say you are qualified to tell other people that they are wrong. You are just not qualified to tell other people that they are unreasonable. Only they can be the judge of that. And I think that's a really important thought to keep in mind. Could you unpack that just a little bit? Yeah, that's. Um there's a, a very interesting psychological observation and I actually spend a lot of time in the book trying to talk about the psychology of how people uh, express their beliefs and how they feel about their own beliefs. And one of the interesting findings is this, this guy dubbed the law of asymmetric insight, which is you believe that you understand other people's motives better than they do. So if you read any Paul Krugman column just about – he will be talking about the motives of conservatives as if he knows their true motives and they are hiding their true motives from you. Uh, I think if you listen to a Rush Limbaugh, you'd probably hear get the same thing about the left. Well, what the left really wants. And so this law of asymmetric insight is uh, – uh, I think is uh, – is 
valid, and, and it's part of the process by which people delegitimize opponents. And so if you can just get to the point where you don't think you understand the other side's secret motives better than they do, you're, you're already being more charitable to them than most people would be. So uh, can we run through an issue and uh, run it through your test? Uh, I guess not really an ideological Turing test uh, for us, but just sort of see how people would examine it. Well, I'll, I'll take an issue that came up uh, after the book. After I, I, okay, the, we were talking about the second edition. The book is forthcoming, and the original edition was uh, about four years ago. And uh, so I've been tracking issues that have come up since then and to see how well they fit. And let's take something like the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And so the theory of the three languages is that the progressives will uh, try to frame it as oppressor versus oppressed. Conservative will try to frame it as civilization versus barbarism. And a libertarian will try to frame it as liberty versus coercion. And, and that sets up sort of natural alliances on given issues. Yeah, but it's but the alliances are shaky because they're sort of you know they they're thinking sort of differently. So let's say on the in Black Lives Matter, uh, yeah, sure enough, progressives will say, well, there's racism in society. Blacks as a class are oppressed, and that really is uh, you know that that's what's going on when when police shoot. Uh, unarmed black people. Uh, conservatives will say, wait, no, some of these unarmed black people were really or were really attacking or threatening policemen. And even if uh, regardless of that, the riots and destruction were barbaric. Uh, and the libertarians will say, well, you know, the police are just so heavily armed and so uh, prone to shoot first and ask questions later. And they're arresting people for trivial reasons. There are too many crimes being defined. So as you say, you get an alliance kind of between the progressives and the libertarians on that particular issue because you know, the libertarians and the progressives are more willing to go against the police, whereas a conservative civilization versus barbarism, the police represent civilization. But even on that issue, libertarians and progressives would uh, assign motive very differently. Absolutely. The progressive thinks that the problem is in, you know, institutional racism or historical racism and the libertarian thinks the problem is the government has too many petty laws. It, it, it needs to back off on uh, passing laws that uh, allow police to harass people and also that the police are too militarized. And that it's, it's, it's about power. It's yeah. about control. It's not about some sort of uh, animosity. Right. Exactly. So I remember uh, in reading your book initially that you were very careful uh, to say, look, this is not a book that is like how to use – how to pick up more chicks at the bar, uh, how to convince people who – disagree with you using these five key words this is not a uh, this is not a course in convincing your opponents to agree with you right it, it, as an example of sort of people trying to use somebody else's language you have conservatives talking about how oppressed conservatives are on college campuses that's just not going to do it uh, just trying to use the other person's language and adapt their language 
Uh, it, it's just not a trick that works. And that, as you said, that wasn't the goal of the book. The goal of the book is to recognize your own kind of instinctive responses to language uh, based on where you stand and to sort of get you to back off of that. So if you hear a, uh, let's say you're a libertarian and you hear the, you know, this is a problem, this is a problem all caused by the state power, uh, you realize, oh, well, that, that's naturally going to appeal to me, but let me step back and think about it and consider other perspectives. But Arnold, I am like correct about all these things. It's those other people who are wrong and they need to be convinced. So I would like to take your book and just use it as a tool and uh, make other people adopt my way of thinking. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I can't sell the book that way. I, I really, I, I, well, the way I would sell it, it and it's a, I think it's a horrible time to try to sell it, but to try to get people to approach political discussions differently. Uh, you can imagine three things. You could try to uh, open the minds of the other side. You could try to open the mind of your own side, or you could try to close the mind of your own side. And I think a lot of political rhetoric is designed really to, to try to close the mind of your own side, convince your side that, boy, the other side is really, really wrong, and they're evil, and their motives are bad. Arnold, the president of the United States for years, refused to say the words radical Islamic terrorism, and that proves something very important. Yeah, from a conservative's point of view, that shows that, you know, he doesn't understand barbarism. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, does, that, that doesn't help Saying that, as you know, doesn't help persuade either a libertarian or a progressive that, that there's something wrong with the president. And so these um, – unfortunately, so I, you know, I, I write the first edition of this book in 2013 and there's all this hostility in the political discussion and people trying to close their minds on their own side. And I look at back at that and that's like the era of good feelings. I mean now it, it's, it's, we've moved beyond hostility to outrage. So we're not just sort of cultivating that the other side is bad. It's just the other side is outrageous. And uh, so it's – I don't know whether this book is hitting at the right time or not. There are different ways of looking at this sort of attenuation or I guess – there are different ways of looking at how our minds are attuned based upon our ideological sort of priors. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson called it reality tunnels. That is, we begin forming them as small children and they continue to sort of, if we allow it to happen, continue to sort of narrow until we think we understand everything. Um, but we're constantly seeking information that supports our view and uh, dismissing or tuning out others who uh, don't share those views. Yeah, well, and the research on that is quite depressing. They, uh, there's the confirmation bias experiments where people are with particular point of views are given exactly the same facts and each one walks away saying those facts confirm, you know, make my view stronger. Uh, so that's, that's quite frustrating. So I guess what do you say specifically to libertarians which are the group most likely to listen to this conversation about how to open themselves up to the possibility of being convinced or at least uh, have 
more regard for deeply held views based upon a set of facts that we value differently? I would say, first of all, uh, uh, <clears throat> there's a, a great phrase, assume positive motivation. So don't assume that conservatives are, are authoritarian by design, by nature. Don't assume that progressives want to run your life or, or you know, have, an, have a nanny state by nature. Assume that there's some positive motivation there and then say, well, given that positive motivation, you know, they're still wrong, of course, but, uh, you know, they, they, they probably won't – they probably won't achieve what they what they're motivated to achieve, uh, but you don't. Uh, but I, I think that would be the first thing: assume positive motivation. Okay, so at that at that point, we have moved our ideological opponents from the category of evil to the category of very likely confused. Yes, or misguided, or not seeing all of the. Uh, all the nuances, and on on balance, that would be a huge improvement if everybody did that. Yeah, and and, and if everyone approached things that way, you know, uh, many years ago, I sat on a jury, and it was a very tough case, uh, and we argued respectfully. People changed their minds along the way, and we ended up unable to reach a verdict. It was actually a six-six deadlock, so it's not like any, you know anyone caved in to anyone else. But the nature and tone of the discussion was completely different than what you see in politics. And if we could somehow capture that kind of you know respectful, trying to come to a meeting of the minds approach, that would at least make our rhetoric better and sort of the the risk of. You know, I, I think there's some risk of political violence in this country, maybe not, certainly not as much as, you know, in historically and in other countries, but um, some, in some ways people are kind of priming themselves to, uh, for, to get, uh, you know, to break laws or engage in violence on behalf of political causes. And I don't think that does anyone any good. So, yeah, a, a political discussion on issues of the day, um, I suppose I've felt this myself which is I am prepared to deal with someone who's very angry and will get la very loud and very animated very quickly. And yeah. so and so even just in the process of girding yourself for that discussion it changes your expectations going in. Yeah, it's sad. It feels like you know you're you're about to walk into a bar fight and you know what do you do about that? I think if you read this book in addition to sort of whatever self-help uh, aspects, I, I think it, it would provide an interesting framework as you read through editorials. I think you'll find yourself nodding your your head and saying, "Ah, yeah, this is another progressive." And look, they can't get out of the oppressor-oppressed paradigm. And here's a conservative, and they can't get out of the uh, civilization barbarism paradigm. And here's the libertarian, and they're stuck in the liberty coercion paradigm. And it just it just uh, nothing else gives you a uh, a way to to look at uh, and predict, in some sense, how the commentariat will respond to various issues. Arnold Kling is author of The Three Languages of Politics, available at libertarianism.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.